0: welcome to business unveiled the podcast designed to help you thrive in the creative community here's your host events and productivity consultant Angela profit what's up GST leaders thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of business unveiled where we share expert Tips and secrets from top creative industry professionals. You know we're going to take you behind the scenes of our experiences, share with you what we've learned from them, and how it's made us stronger. Because no one said it's easy owning a business, right? But it's a lot more fun when you've got a strong support team around you. And that's exactly what we do at GSD Creative. We're right there by your side, and I'm so excited that you've chosen this podcast to take the first step in growing a productive, profitable, and successful, wildly successful business within the hospitality and creative industry. Today's episode is being brought to you by GSD Academy, where I personally walk you through my four-step process with personalized videos, I give you downloadable templates, and so many resources. So if you're serious about changing your life and your business and you're ready to GSD, that is get shit done, go to bit.ly slash GSD Academy. Hi, y'all. It's Angela, and I'm back for another episode of Business Unveiled, and you are in for a treat today because we're going to be talking to Jessica Zimmerman, who just came out with a new book, and I'm so excited for you guys to hear about the book and her crazy journey to getting the book. I'm like, is it on Audible? And so she'll have to share with you guys, like the craziness story of how things have come about. And so Jessica, she's an educator, an author, a wife, a mom. She's a serial entrepreneur, like most of us, like me and most of you listening. And she teaches her students and followers how to have healthy business boundaries. Amen. So if you're a woman, especially, and I say women because I feel like most women, we have the hardest time with boundaries and saying, no, thank you, or this is outside of my scope of work or services or whatever it's called. But she's going to talk to you about how to invest in yourself and how to create a business and a life that you love because that's what life is about, right? Like you should love your life. And if you don't, you really need to listen up and pay attention. So she's been featured in People, Forbes, Entrepreneur, Business Insigner, Inc., And her new book, ready, is called Sleeping with a Stranger. It has hit Wall Street Journal's bestseller, USA Today bestseller, and Barnes and Noble bestseller and Amazon number one bestseller. So I'm super excited to bring her on. Jessica, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is gonna be fun. Yay.
0: So before we jump in and talk all about the book and the craziness of the journey and getting there, take us back. Like where did you decide like, okay, this entrepreneur journey thing is for me. And tell us a little bit about how you
1: grew up and where did all this stuff start? Well basically I if we rewind all the way to when I was 3 years old Ooh. I was in a a, a car accident oh. that um it took the life of my only sister Aww. and so she died and I survived and so then there was this um you know this this living um the rest of my life kind of with this really this knowing I mean people say all the time tomorrow isn't promised or, you know, you have to live each day like it's your last. And I just really know that to my core. I mean, I just know that to be true. And so I have always been frustrated when I was doing things that I didn't enjoy. I didn't always love school. I hated college. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, girl. (laughs) I just was like, why am I wasting my time doing this? I just, for me, it was all about time. I just know that time is my greatest commodity and I wanted to be in control of my own time if I'm being completely honest. And I didn't want to have to ask permission to take off. I'm obviously, you know, like everyone else in the world, obsessed with traveling. And I just, you know, two weeks out of the year just didn't really seem like enough for me. (laughs) I thought, gosh, I just want to see so much more. And I want, you know, if one day I choose to have children and, and a husband of my own, like, then I want to be able to attend their soccer games and dance recitals and not have to ask permission for these things and um, permission to live my life, really. Yep. And the only way I knew how to do that was to own my own business. And so mm-hmm. I um, knew from a young age that I wanted to own my own business. I had no idea what that looked like. I had no idea what that really meant. I didn't even care what that business was. I would have sold knives for a living. I, I almost did. <laughs> And um, I just wanted to be my own boss. That's all that mattered. But I also noticed that when I left to go to college, my mom really struggled with that because her other daughter had passed away. She kind of poured all of her energy into her one surviving child, which was mm-hmm. me. And then I leave and she didn't have a job outside of the home. Her, her job was, you know, to raise me, which had you. To have been the most difficult yeah. <laughs> job. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I really saw how hard that was for her when I left. And so part of me wanting to own my own business, aside from having that kind of control over my time was also, if I'm being honest, a bit of emotional insurance. I Mm -hmm. mean, there was something in me that said, you know, if one day you lose everyone you love, you've got to have something else that is just yours that no one can take away and you know a business is is that for me and so that's i mean it's not all the the typical drivers but that's what landed me here
0: <laughs> yeah but it's it's everything that like your past and and it drives you to do different things and to do things where some people would say oh give yourself a better life give yourself and i love it the way you say it like that like really building the security of like insurance people tell me they're like you sell a security blanket you know to our clients like if we're doing events or if we're running sales funnels and ads and it's like I call it I'm like I'm just educating people so that they understand like what's coming but we can't always be in control of that like there's a much bigger power that's in control of that but it's how you take that experience and turn it into something amazing and like that's what you've done and we all know like those of us who are seasoned entrepreneurs like nothing's freaking easy like there's a lot of blood sweat and tears behind the scenes of this and you i mean girl you've been through some stuff <laughs> you've been through real stuff a little bit, real a little stuff. bit. I mean, we all have yeah. I mean, we
1: all we all have our stuff we all have our journeys and and everything but it it really is what prepares you for what you're ultimately supposed to do. And I yeah. really do look at it that way. And I think when you can get to a place in your life where you can look at it that way, things become a little easier, even the hard times, you know, become a little bit, you realize it's a season that it will, you know, it's just preparing you for something, you know, greater. And so,
0: yeah. Did you really start out like on your entrepreneur journey? I know that you were an amazing floral designer, have done beautiful work. And even before you were an educator and before you were an author, did you was that your first love of like florals and events and oh gosh, how, no.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, it's it's funny that you say that because like I said, the only thing I cared about was owning my own business and I um almost bought a kitchen supply store and uh um, <laughs> you no know, serious and I loved it I loved everything about that store um I mean I knew every gadget I knew you know every knife I knew how to clean it I knew everything and um but the year that we went to purchase that um was the same year that the housing crisis um happened mm-hmm. and so For the first time in a very long time, banks were no longer allowed to loan you, you know, any more money than what an inventory is worth and then slash that inventory in half. Well, this kitchen store was, you know, it was small and, you know, the inventory total in the whole place, I mean, it wouldn't have added up to, you know, about a hundred grand. And when you're looking to buy a business that would be, you know, 10 times more than that, a bank can't do that anymore this time at the, you know, the housing market crisis time. And so I, I left because there, I didn't need to stay there if I wasn't going to get to to buy it. I had worked there for four years prior in preparation of buying it. And so that felt like what a waste of time, you know, to, for me, like, um, and, but what was interesting was a couple of weeks later, I was at a Christmas party and a lady came up to me and she said, you know, I'm looking to uh, sell my business. I'd like for you to come work for me for a year and then think about buying it. And hmm. she didn't know anything about what had happened with the kitchen store or anything like that. And um, and she owned a wedding rental business.
0: Okay. And
1: so I was like, okay. So I went and worked for her. I ended up buying it. And um, it, we did rentals and we would do just a, vi- a little bit of flowers on the side. Like I'm talking maybe six weddings a year where there were flowers.
0: Gotcha. And then-
1: that kind of grew a little bit. And I started to realize, I mean, I listen, I failed so many times during the first like four years of that business. I can't even
0: (laughs) really explain
1: it, but I, I, I really went into it with the intention that I think many entrepreneurs do, which is the best intentions in the world, but we just don't know any better. We just don't know any better. And we think, we believe the myth that you have to kill yourself for five years before you ever see a profit. And you have to work, you know, all the time and you can't pay yourself any money. Everything goes back into the business. Like I believed all of that. And so for those first four years, I just, you know, I was working 16 hour days. I didn't bring home a penny. And when I finally had, you know, I had my daughter and then I got real serious about, Mm -hmm. um, okay, I can't, you know, this is the opposite of why you went into business was to work all the time and never get paid. You need to Figure this out. And so I got alone and did all the education that I could, learned all that I could, and basically learned the foundation of business, which I didn't have. And um, that really turned things around for, for me. And I mean, I just basically bought myself time to learn as much as I could, read as much as I could, listen to as much as I could. And that's when I realized wow, Floral has a really incredible profit margin. And these mm-hmm. rentals really don't. And so I got rid of the rentals and I focused only on floral. And I mean, I, I still don't know the names of, you know, 90% of the flowers out there. I just kind of would sell myself and sell yeah. the fact that I, I can make you a beautiful bouquet. I, I kind of honed a craft for something, but I felt very out of place a lot of that, you know, of that time of my career because people that I would meet in the wedding world, I mean, they were, I mean, in it and all in it. I mean, mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. I mean, if you told them they could never touch a flower again, they would be like, well, just end it now for me. Right. Because I am obsessed with all the flowers and I want to talk about color palettes all day. And I was like, if I have to talk about color palettes again, you know, and so it, it was a, and I, I remember just thinking, why am I in this field? Like why am I in this industry? And it's not that I don't have an appreciation for it. Um, I just once I kind of I'm just gonna say this as bluntly as I don't know how to say it. Once yeah. you kind of master something, it's like for me, I don't want to do it anymore. It's like right. what's the point? Me neither. You know, I'm right there like with I you. get bored and I mean, what am I gonna do? Just continue to do beautiful weddings that have different colors and can, you know, I don't know, like yep. it had been, our, my work had been featured in, you know, the, the best of the best in the industry, Martha Stewart weddings and all that. And yep. I just thought I'm done. Like, yep. you know, and I want, and I also believe that those clients deserve to have someone who is so excited about their wedding. right.
0: And right. I just wasn't there anymore.
1: Yep. Yep. I know exactly
0: how you feel. It's funny. Cause my, I'm, family had a venue growing up my uncle started in flowers and he still does flowers like to this day for fun even though he sold sold his shop retired five times he still does it for fun and um, people are like even though I know how to do flowers doesn't mean I should be doing flowers (laughs) like we'll do it every once in a while but like we have a floral design company that we completely outsource everything but it's like I'm like you I can go to the wholesaler and like spend a little bit of time in there, pick up. I know how to make it. I know what looks good, but I couldn't tell you a damn name of anything. Right. You know, it's just like, I just know it looks good. And like, that's not really important. Right. So, um, but I, what I learned and appreciated, especially from like watching my uncle, it was very profitable. You know, if you're in the right area, because a lot of people, they're like, oh, I'll just go to Costco and, you know, pick up these Tula. And I'm like, you're not paying for it. It's not about the flowers. There's so much labor. There's so much love. All the containers, all the washing, all the dishwashing, all the drying, all the Windexing, all the gloves. It's so much work. And then you have to pray that, like, if the weather is shitty outside, like, your flowers aren't going to flop and look like they're dead or something. I mean, it's very, people are like, why don't you do flowers? Like, you know how to do it. I'm like, because I don't want to, like, it's right. it's too much of a legality. And like, yes. when you're planning and designing and overseeing things, like, I don't need to be doing it. Like I can outsource that you, it, it is a taught skill. Like some people just wake up and they're they're good at it, but you can teach people like how to put the bouquets together. And so, so how did you get yourself out of that? Like when you knew you were done and you're like, I want to be an educator. Well, I know that you were having kids and then.
1: Oh yeah. Started- and I did not want to be an educator either. Like this is oh, what's really? so funny about this whole journey is I, <laughs> you know, so it was, I guess it was 2014 is when I took out that loan to kind of learn everything that I could about, business. And Mm -hmm. I think basically any business can be profitable if you know how to price and you know how to spend. And, um, and then you've got your systems in place for your business and everything. I mean, you just have to treat your business like a business. And I think a lot of people treat their business like a hobby and yep. you have to ask yourself, am I a business or a hobby and really get honest about that. And so mm-hmm. once I decided to come from a place of like, no, I'm a business, and I'm going to do this. It was really easy for me to say no to a client or to say, absolutely. It can't, I can't press it any less. It has to be this. You, you need to come down on your expectation. You know what I mean? It's like going to a yep. grocery store. You you cannot have three carts filled with milk and eggs and bacon and all the things and tell the, tell the cash, per, you know, the person at the cash register mm-hmm. that you only want to pay $20. They're going to say, I'm sorry, you need to go put some, put your back. shit back, <laughs> you know? And like, that's the same thing with weddings. And so I was able to really get confident because I knew, I knew business now. I knew it backwards and forwards. And I was able to be really confident and stand behind it. And I realized that people were attracted to that. And they even ended up, you know, uh, t- spending less in other areas so that they could spend more with me. And I realized, this is kind of crazy. Like, even yeah. after like a year, I mean, I went from profiting zero dollars to profiting six figures in yeah. a year. And yeah. it was insane. And I thought, And I'm all about utilizing a low season. And our low season was always January, February, March. So Mm -hmm. after one year of kind of doing this and, and, you know, actually making money for the first time and paying myself a salary for the first time, I thought, I'm just going to write down what I did. I'm just going to write it down. And I didn't even know at this time about online courses or anything. I literally wrote it down in a sense where it was almost like a memoir. Like it was just like, here's what I was doing. And this is what failed. And so this is what I ended up doing. And this is what worked. And this is, you know, just, it was almost like you were a fly on the wall in my business. Mm -hmm. And I think I had 300 Instagram followers. I did not have a newsletter list or anything. And I thought, why don't we just sell it? Like, let's just put it as a PDF, like a locked PDF, and I'm going to sell it. And if I sell a couple, that'll be great. And I sold 44 of them. That's great. And I did not plan on doing it, but that one time. And, but after that, people started emailing me their testimonies that I did not even ask for, but they were just like, Jessica. I, you know, had never booked a floral order over $2,000. And a week after I read your program, I am doing $20,000 floral orders. And I was like, are you kidding? Like, and I knew that it worked for me, but you just never know how that's going to translate for other people. And then I would have people say, I've taken all these other Mm -hmm. courses, but man, yours is the only one who I feel like is giving me everything. And I think Mm -hmm. the reason for that is because I didn't, like, I wasn't I knew I wasn't going to do weddings and flowers forever. I didn't know right. what I was going to do, but I knew I wasn't. So there wasn't a part of me that felt I needed to protect anything. Right. I was really willing to share it all. And, um, I ended up talking to someone in marketing about, uh, the program is called the business behind the blooms. Mm-hmm. And, um, I ended up talking to someone about it and she was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa hold up. You sold 44 copies. Just like by posting it on your Instagram and you have 300 Instagram followers. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, okay, then -hmm. this is like a needed program. And um, what's interesting is the very first time I went to sell it, you know, I sold it on a webinar and what's interesting about a webinar is when you are teaching it, you don't see anyone who's in there. You just see Mm -hmm. a reflection of yourself. It's like looking in a mirror. And when I was little... Um, after my sister died, that is how I would entertain myself at night. I would go sit in front of a floor-length mirror, and I would talk to myself, and I would almost like ask myself questions and answer back. And so when okay. I when I saw that, I thought, Oh, this is the first time since this whole business journey has happened that I feel right where I'm supposed to be, and this feels comfortable, and this feels familiar, and this feels like I've been preparing my whole life for this moment. If that makes
0: sense.
1: yeah, totally, totally. So I'm assuming so the webinar was the amazing. The that's what gave me the direction to kind of go. Okay, and I liked it so much better. I mean, it was it was so much more. That really is who I am at my core. It's it's I'm an oversharer. I'm going to learn. I'm going to experience. I'm going to learn, and then I'm going to share. Yeah. And um and ha- and I am not scared to have those really raw, vulnerable conversations. And I was able to do that with business. And I think that that. I I think that that prepared me for what I'm doing now, which is talking really, you know, honestly and vulnerably about my personal life, which is, uh, you know, Sleeping with a Stranger, my book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about your book. Like what, first off, how did you pick the name and what, what's the guts? Like if you had 30 seconds in an elevator and someone was like, tell me about your book, what would you say?
1: it's about i believe that in life we're all kind of handed a script when we're born and it's like this is how you're meant to behave and this is what's expected of you and it's kind of a, a like a like a coming of that of of finally recognizing oh this is a script that i've been given and i don't really believe everything in the script and my husband doesn't believe everything in the script and now where we've been put in a situation my husband got really really ill 6 weeks after my twin boys were born. Oh no. And he was the he was a financial advisor, he had fully supported us for 11 years and then um I had to kind of step in and take care of my 2-year-old daughter, my newborn twins and now for the first time ever not just bring home a paycheck but support this whole family while we're trying wow. to figure out what's wrong with him because we couldn't figure it out and he was in now the hospital and It basically is, um, you get so broken down to where, you know, once you come out, uh, once you finally see the light, you kind of don't recognize each other. You don't recognize yourself. um, And you you have to ask yourself, like, is this the person I was always meant to be? Or Mm -hmm. did I become this person because of our situation? Or, you know, like... I've now been cracked open. Mm. What do I do moving forward? It is, it is, it is the most honest, uh, you know, and vulnerable and raw that I've ever been. Where I mean, we talk about. I talk about things that. Sorry, this is more than thirty seconds. I don't know. No, 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 that. no. Tell I me. I want to know. do thirty seconds. But you know, we. I talk about things like. I mean, do you have sex when your spouse is sick? You know, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, we didn't, um, you know, well, how long did that go on or what is it like when you're trying to, uh, you know, like, I think there's so many entrepreneurs that, you know, they get to a point, listen, I could say some stats for you, right? I could be like, I work six hours a day now. I mean, sometimes I only work two and, uh, you know, I've, I've brought in revenue of seven figures. I can say all that stuff, Mm -hmm. but it's like, what's really going on? behind the scenes? What, what drove that? And I think that that is where a lot of female entrepreneurs aren't really being honest. You know, they're just showing the good part. And I really wanted to show the, the, the yucky behind the curtain. Here's what was actually happening. So all that time that you followed and you saw this business growing, let's take a peek behind and see what was really happening because it wasn't pretty. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it's, I think often in life, uh, it's hard to have everything pretty at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm. But you know what I'm finding, like the older I get and some people put things out there, um, like a friend of mine screenshot something on Facebook and Uh, sent it to me another business owner that is from Nashville and she's like holy shit like would you ever say this or put this out here like I just don't know what to think about that and I'm like well first off like no I wouldn't because I don't talk like that and secondly like if people want to put their stuff out there like that like whatever but to me I'm like it looks like someone's hurting and they're asking for either empathy or they're asking for peep for help That's just her way of asking for help to let people know like something's wrong, like she's angry about something like I'm all about the psychology. That's what I went to school for. I worked in a mental health hospital like there is something behind the words that people will hide behind. But when you put out a book, when you put out podcasts, when you read your own book, you have to tell them about what you did with, I'm like, is it on Audible? Um, (laughs) Which is a total sidebar conversation. But it's like, you were so dedicated. You're like, I am going to make this shit happen. Pandemic, global, kick me out of the hotel. I'm going to find another way to do it, which by the way, let's pause and tell them how you did it to get it on Audible like in 48 hours. <laughs>
1: Basically, it was I I knew when I wrote this book, Sleeping with a Stranger, I, I knew that I wanted to do it as excellently as possible. I wanted it to be uh, treated with the same care, respect, and and production level as as any book would be that was with a, you know, a, a big name publisher, which by the way, I could have gone with the publisher I chose to self-publish and um, when you do that, there's some benefits and there's also some, some struggles. And one of them is really having to kind of fight for these things. And people would go, oh, you don't, I mean, it's self, you don't need to do the audible thing. You're fine. Just sell it paperback. And I was like, no, I'm going to have hard cover. There's going to be ebook. There's going to be paperback and there's going to be, there's going to be an audio book. And I flew to LA. I had a, a meeting out there and I was going to do the, um, I had a, a session scheduled uh, to have five days to record the audiobook. Then the pandemic happens and everything gets closed down. Mm -hmm. The hotel is like, we're closing. You've got to get on a flight back home if you want to get home. So I took the red eye home. And on the whole way home, I'm finding connections in Nashville. The second I land, I drive to Nashville um, to uh, a a guy who says he'll do it. He's got two days and that's it. And then everything's shutting down. And so I recorded the whole thing in two days. Y'all, that's... Crazy, but like amazing. But that's the stuff that people aren't really honest about. You know exactly. What I mean? And that's determination. No, is that? I mean, yes, I was able to grow this business, but but it also was driven so much out of fear. It was driven so much out of fears. Fear out of, of talk about psychology. I mean, I go to I go to uh, therapy once a week and mm-hmm. i i share about how I, what causes me to start going to therapy uh, in the book but but basically um you know it's just it's i don't know it's just interesting i forgot where i was going with that angela you're going to have to remind me
0: <laughs> no, no no i was just saying how like which by the way y'all therapy is um probably one of the most needed situations. It's funny how you and I share. So like, I haven't even gotten to listen to the book yet. I'm embarrassed to say, but I'm going to go get it tonight. Um, but how we share so much in common because, um, my sister got really sick years ago and, you know, we were like on this hunt and, um, she has four kids and, you know people saw what they wanted in the forefront they're like oh you're not married you don't have kids you don't understand what life is like like your life looks so perfect and so fun and so easy and you go to all these glamorous places and private islands and like little do they know that i was working my ass off to make more money so i could like help my family and then help like with the kids and then when you do we finally got a diagnosis and it's like oh you're probably going to die in 6 months like literally it was so it was like do do, do these doctors have a pulse right. like do they have a heart like how can you tell That's like crazy. family yeah. and a mom of four little kids like no she's not ready to die and like right. how do you find alternatives and how do you go searching on that journey and it's not something we wanted to publicize and i definitely didn't want to talk about it because if people asked me about it, like half the time, you know, in the first year of like shock, I just wanted to burst into tears. But it's like, I couldn't do that because I had to be the rock, you know, the hard the hard spot so my sister wouldn't lose it. And so the kids could primarily live somewhat of a normal life, although, you know, her five-year-old now, he thinks that it's normal that everyone's mommy is in a wheelchair. Mm. And so like last year, right before he started kindergarten, he said to somebody, you know, and every all the moms talk and stuff, and he he asked the kids at preschool how they were going to decorate their mommy's chair for Halloween because like every holiday, they'll decorate their mom's chair. Sure. and And that's when like at four years old, like the teacher was like, you know, should I explain to him like not everybody's mommy is in a wheelchair? In fact, you're the only kid in this class whose mommy's in a wheelchair and who can't walk and who can't bathe herself or wipe herself or do any of that for, right. to, to be frank. And so it's this whole new norm. But once I did, you know, start talking about it a little bit. Um, people were like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Like they compare their your life to their life. And I'm like, that is so wrong. Oh, Angela, you're don't ever compare. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, don't ever compare because you never know what's going on with people. Right. I learned that young working in the mental health, it's like these people would walk in. I'll never forget Jane, my favorite patient that actually made me quit. Um, who walked in, she was like beautiful, put together, stylish clothes, like expensive car, beautiful husband, beautiful two kids. Like, what's wrong with her? Right. And she was bipolar. Like, I didn't realize any of this until we got yeah. into therapy. And I'm like, holy shit, you were about shit crazy. Yeah, you know, you yeah. think these things in your head, right? So, what you see on the outside and then what's going on on the inside, it's like, don't judge people. Yeah. So, oh,
1: gosh. it's so true. I had a friend who read sleeping with a stranger and mm-hmm. this is a friend. This is like, I call her a mom friend
0: uh-huh. by the way. I'm
1: really sorry about your sister and everything that you had to go through, but
0: it's she's still alive, you know, so I it's know. her new norm. But so, it doesn't
1: make it easy. I mean, it is, it's a new normal, it's a new normal, but it's, it doesn't make it. it it's a, you still have grief though is what mm-hmm. people don't understand because you, you still have grief of a life that you didn't, that is gone that you didn't expect. Like your sister, not in a wheelchair is not, an option. You know what I mean? And so like you, when you were growing up and you thought about you and your sister, you know, in your thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, you know, she wasn't in a wheelchair. And so there is a, a, a death in a way, there is a Mm -hmm. grief, a grieving that has to happen. And I think that until you've been through it, you just don't understand. You just don't get it, which is why the proper response is always, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. That is it. Not, I know how you feel, not Don't compare, you know, losing your dad to someone losing their mom. It isn't the same. You Mm -hmm. know, I mean, you can't even compare you losing your mom to someone else losing their mom because you had different dynamics, perhaps, or whatever. I mean, you just, I am so sorry, is really the only uh, acceptable thing to say, in my opinion. I think that that when people are going through a tough time, they just want to be heard. I think Mm -hmm. they just want a, a soft place to land, and they want a place to be able to, to safely express how they're feeling without judgment. Mm-hmm. And, with, and that is why you said, I didn't really say a whole lot. The reason we don't say a whole lot is we don't want to hear it back. Mm-hmm. We don't want to, we've got enough on our plate. <laughs> yep. We have enough on our plate. We don't need to hear anything else. But going back to the psychology for just a second, it, yeah. it was, um, for me, building the business that I have was built out of fear. And that is what was never told when all the, that marketing stuff was going on, saying, like, you can do, go from this to this in one year. You know what I mean? Like, all of that, I wasn't also putting in, you know, uh, fine print at the bottom of those ads. I wasn't saying, by the way, I'm scared out of my mind that any day my husband's going to die and that I'm going to be left alone with these three kids. So if I don't sell these courses now, like, I don't know what I'll do. Cause I don't know anything else to do. I mean, none of that's being said. And so I think that it's a real honest look about uh, how you just never know what you're capable of until you're backed into a corner. And also what, what will you do backed into a corner? And I think for me, there wasn't an option. It was that there, it was like, it was like something, a switch flipped in me. That was, there is no failure there is no, like, I, there was a drive, like, I'd never known.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'd never seen before in my life. I almost didn't recognize who I was. Um, But but the stranger in the book, you asked how I came up with the title. It My husband lost 50 pounds. I don't want to give the whole thing away, but he became unrecognizable to me. And there was a moment where I was like, I'm sleeping with a stranger. And but then, you know, as the book continues, you realize how much of a stranger I became to myself as well. Gotcha. Because when you are backed up against a wall and you you begin to get shrill and mm. short and mean. And you know, I'm a I'm a pretty nice gal, um, but I was unrecognizable to most people in my life because I just become mean. And, uh, I think that's what happens when you stop taking care of yourself. Was it mean
0: or mad? Like you were just mad, which makes you mean. I
1: was, I would, yeah, but I mean, all of it, I was exhausted. I was mad. I was, I was frustrated because here I was, and I had this role all of a sudden where I was like the full-time provider and my husband was, ill and it was like I didn't ask for this I didn't ask to you know to be uh yeah 33 at the time you know and I had to you know I remember I went to the he had a he had a a gastro issue that Mm -hmm. we could not figure out I mean it took there's a line in the book that goes it took a gastro doctor um a guru a holistic doctor and an and an and an New Zealand doctor, like it took all these different wow. people to feel, figure out what was wrong with him. But, um, but we finally figured it out and I'm not going to give that away, but the, you know, I remember being 33 and being at Kroger and this is how the book opens up. But I say, I looked down at my grocery cart that was filled with uh, newborn pampers, uh, potty training, pull-ups <laughs> oh my and God. men's depends. Aww. And I looked down at that cart and I thought, could my life get any shittier? Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, and you're 33. And once again, there's that grief of going, you know, when I said for better or for worse 10 years ago, like it I knew really mean there it. might be a moment where this, this shit might happen, but like, I thought we'd be like eighties. You know what I mean? I didn't think it right. was going to happen at 33. And so, right. um, you know, there's just, you have to kind of grieve that. And so And then my husband became someone who I didn't know anymore. And so in a way, I felt I was mad at him because his body was still there, but who he was, like his soul, who I knew wasn't there anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, I want to grieve you, but I can't Mm -hmm. grieve you because you're like a skeleton walking around the halls of our home. It was just hard. Like, it was just hard. But I think, I mean, but the book is also really funny because it takes all of this in a, in a, uh, it's a very serious, you can just go read some reviews. Um, but it's, it's serious <laughs> content, but said with a sense of humor, because you can't not have a sense of humor about, right. about that. I mean, what three year old has that many diapers. Like it's crazy. It's, that is. <laughs> you have a five person family and four of them are in diapers. Like that's just, it was like, well, when's my turn? Like I just, it's you know, like, I don't know. So Anyway, there's some comedy in there for sure.
0: So I was going to say like, what, which again, like I think you and I both know just from our experiences, like people kind of cover up like the truth about what it truly is like to be a caretaker. And if you don't have a sense of humor and you don't laugh at some of the stuff, it's like, I would just go insane. I'm like, I might as well just get in my sister's handicap van and drive it off (laughs) and like yes. let it take yes <laughs> because it's like you have to have a sense of humor but there are so many tears and so many moments where it's like like you said i did not sign up for this what the fuck is happening <laughs> to me exactly. why are you doing this god exactly and Absolutely. we we don't know we don't know but like all i can you know my my sister and her her i think he's a hero husband because of the way he like puts up and deals and handles all this stuff. I'm just like, gosh, like kudos to you. I just don't even see how you handle it. Right. And, um, you know, it does become a norm and you do get into a rhythm, but there in the first year or so it was like, we had lots of family therapy, lots of family counselors. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my sister was very angry and she was mad and she's always the victim. And why does it have to happen to her? And I'm like, everything happens for a reason, but we have to look at the blessings that are there. We don't know why, but apparently this is happening for a reason. Yeah. But for you, starting out being a caretaker, like, did you always have that mindset of like, okay, I'm just going to laugh at this? Or like, really, what was the truth behind that?
1: No, I think I can laugh about it now, but I think at the time I was, um, I was just in a state of survival. Like like I said, I mean, I don't think people really realize my daughter had just turned two. I mean, just turned two. My boys were six weeks old. So, I mean, that alone is insane. And on top of that, my husband's now in the hospital. On top of that, I now have to provide and take this hobby business to a capital B business. There was no time for me. There was no time for friends. There was no, it was just a constant state of survival. And also realizing that, you know, the person I was closest to who was my sister died and was gone. And there was nothing that I could have done about that. And now the person who is closest to me, my husband could very well die. Yeah. I'm going to do everything that I can in my power, which is crazy because we don't have that power, but I'm going to do everything I can to control as much as I can. And that really, it was all fear-based. It was all fear-based. And so um, I think it's interesting what really does drive some of these businesses. And so it's a, it really is a look behind the scenes of, of what, you know, and then just, I'm always really honest with my husband about things. We speak really honestly to each other and, I mean, just even things like, okay, well, what does it look like after you've not had sex for two years and then you have it again? Like, what's right. that like, and what, um, you know? I mean, and just everything and learning, you know, after his physical body healed, then he goes through all the mental stuff, which I wasn't prepared for at all. I was just like, can you just be? Okay, again, like, can, right. we, can I'm sick of this, you know, yeah. which is a natural feeling, and so all that kind of stuff is in there, and then the comedy of just the kids at the time, and then, um, you know, but even when I found out I was pregnant with twins, there was a dark moment there where I was like, I don't want this, I did not ask for this, twins don't run in our family, oh you know, like, gosh. I, you know, and um, but. I believe and that for some reason I always believed even even in the darkest moments of all of that I was like this is preparing us for something else and I don't know what that is um but I believe that this story is going to be used for good we just have to get through it mm-hmm. and it was um it was about 2 months after we had really felt like that chapter had come to an end that I got um kind of an offer for the book and was like, okay, let's do it. And it made sense to me. Like, I felt like everything that I had done in my life up until that point had prepared me to write Sleeping With a Stranger. And I wrote it in a a week.
0: What? I was going to say, did you ever see yourself as like being an author and doing a book tour and launching during a global pandemic
1: and no to that. Um, (laughs) Let me just say, but even that I've had to really go, you know, like this story is so much bigger than me. I'm able to say now, like I'm able to look at this now as a story that we were given because Mm -hmm. we were going to be brave enough to share it. And I really took that responsibility um, very seriously, which is why I, cause I almost felt like we were given this story that we had to experience because a, I would be, uh, you know, able, I would have, you know, figured out enough in business where I could, I could get it out into the world, but also that my husband would be willing, listen, I don't know any other 38 year old man who would say, yeah, why don't you write a book about my most embarrassing moments like that yeah about me having a diaper and like uh you know not wanting to live and stuff yeah let's just put all that in a book you know what i mean yeah. and we live in a small town you know so it's i don't know anyone else so i give him a lot of a, a lot of you know props for that but i just really believed that i thought this story was given to us and now it's my responsibility to put it out as excellently as i know how to Um, and so that's what I did. And so even with this pandemic, I've thought, now, did this go the way we wanted it to go? Not at all, (laughs) (laughs) right? But I believe this story is bigger than the pandemic. And I believe that it is going to get into the hands of the people that it needs to get into. And I believe in the power of, of a, um, Hey, have you read that book, this book? You need to read that. You'd really, I believe in that more than anything. And I think that that's, what's going to happen. So
0: since you guys are from a small town in Arkansas, have things changed at all? Like, have people come up to you or, like, commented or, like, said things? And you're like, did you just say that? Like, has that happened yet?
1: <laughs> well, I, we've been quarantined most of it, you know. Right. I mean, we've been, you know, but I, it, what's interesting, what I didn't expect is, um, you know, I expected a bunch of people that I didn't know to read it. And then, of course, their feedback is like, my gosh, thank you for putting into words, the mm-hmm. thing that I feel, but I never knew how to put into words or think, you know, whatever. And, but I, what I didn't expect is, um, the people who know me to be a little, uh, you know, some of them have been so supportive and amazing. You know, I've had a couple, oh, I was started to share this earlier. Um, but like a mom friend of mine, um, oh yeah, that's
0: right. We told yeah, did. Sorry.
1: <laughs> Let's <laughs> get back to that. You know, she read it and she was like, you know, I would see you like four days a week during that time. Like I, I it just shows that you just never know what someone's mm-hmm. really going through, even though you think, you know, like I, she was like, I knew Brian was sick and you would keep me posted and we did, you know, but like, I just never knew all of that turmoil or like what you were really going through at home or like any of that. And it's like, Yeah, because you don't, you don't share that in the waiting room of dance class. You know what I mean? Like you just don't do that. And I think that, you know, for a couple of my really close friends, I think it was like close friends that I've had since childhood. I think it was really hard for them to read. And I didn't expect that. I expected them to read it and to be like proud of me. Yeah. and Not that they weren't, but I think they were hurt too, that they didn't know more, that they had to read about it in a book along with everyone else. And that took a couple of conversations of just saying, do you understand that I could never verbally process this Mm -hmm. ever? The only way that this story was processed was through written words. And I guess I could have given it to you before I gave it to the world. That probably, but hindsight, I can't, I mean, if I could go back, I would. I'd give it to them first and say, this is what's about to come out. But I, uh, but it's not because anything was said negatively about them. It was just that I think it was hard for them to read what I went through and they didn't know the depths of it. Right. When you have such close friends and they feel like they should know those things. And I get that. I get that. It would be, if the situation were reversed, I would probably feel the same way.
0: Right. But it's like, it reminds me of that show. Oh my gosh. Have you seen, um, I think it's Big Little Lies, Lies, Yeah. Yeah. And um, Reese and Nicole both live in Nashville and they have produced some amazing content together. And like, I don't really watch TV, but it's like, there are some things on Netflix and Hulu that people will tell me like, oh my God, you have to watch this. Right. And one day I keep saying like, I'm just going to do a podcast talking about all of those shows that I binge watch in the background. Right. That taught me something. Yeah. And. I feel like your book is like that. I don't know if you've seen it, but like these women are best friends, but they're with each other all the time, but they all have like their secret little lives going on. Right. Totally. And we all do. Yeah. They, yeah. And it's like, it's like you said, even with your friends, it's like, you don't want to go out to dinner and have drinks and like, like monopolize the conversation and it's like, you know, a tennis ball back and forth. And so we all just kind of hoard it up. And then like, I, I've gotten that as well. Like if some people like listen to my podcast, they'll happen to hear something. And it's like, well, I didn't know
1: that about you. I'm like, well, I was just about to say that I, that's the worst <laughs> response that anyone can say is, uh-huh. well, I didn't know that. Well, how come I didn't know that? Well, I didn't know. Uh, you know it now. Okay. Do you want right. to know more? then, you know, but to say that it's almost like,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: it's, it's totally a selfish statement, I think. Yeah. Because it's like, I thought I was more important to you. Yeah. And it's like, okay, this really isn't about you. This is about my husband being sick or my sister being ill or whatever. Like, so I'm sorry you didn't know that, but um, can we get back to that? Or do we need to Talk to you about how you're important or whatever. You know what I mean. I just think it's the right. worst thing someone can say. Right. Sorry. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> no. 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 Well, and the thing is, it's like my thing is like, well, don't get your feelings hurt. Like it, it's never come up before. Like exactly. Sit around thinking about these things. Like if I'm talking to another individual like yourself. And it's like, you know, we have something in common. It triggers something that happened five years ago. I might bring it up or, and, uh, and, and some people that I work with, they're like, you're so reckless. Like you just say whatever comes to your mind and blah, blah, blah. And you don't strategically think about it. And I'm like, well, then you're going to have to get the F over it because that's just who I am. And I'm going to say it. And if you don't like it, then turn off the podcast. Like, I don't know what to tell you, (laughs) but you're the one listening to it. So, you know, if you don't like it, sorry, but not sorry. Like I'm just trying to be a real person right. and help other people. But I love the way you're, you're saying it so gracefully, like you've been given this script and like you feel it's almost like your duty to get it out there and share it. And I'm going to get your book for my sister too, because I've been trying to inch her along of like my brother and I are both published authors and you know, we, there's three kids and I'm like, it would be so great if you you would publish a book and share your story. And um, she's done so well. I mean, from go- being told by Vanderbilt, you have roughly six months to live to, yes. I mean, going on literally your five and a half, almost six years is kind of mm-hmm. like, and and, and everything that she's gone through to stay alive. Right. right? That's very unconventional going to Russia and Moscow when she never had been on a plane before. Mm. And I'm like, you, you can help so many people mm-hmm. who are just now starting to struggle with these things. You could probably save so many lives. Right. And like with your book, like I can, I haven't even got to listen to it, but I can probably say like, you've probably saved a lot of marriages and you're going to save a lot of marriages by like, putting it out there and being raw and being real. So, you know, we always like when I put some things out, people are like, don't you, aren't you afraid of haters? Like, don't people say like really mean things? I'm like, yeah, but you know what? Um, They're the ones listening to it. If they don't like it, they can turn it off, but you just have to grow some thick skin. right? And, um, you know, and be more gracious about the 90% of the people that you're helping and like all the troll people that are negative, I'm like, I, they're just not part of my life <laughs> like, right. at all. I'm like, don't Absolutely. let that in. Don't let that negativity in.
1: Absolutely.
0: But is your husband okay now? Like,
1: yes, did you he all make better he this better. through? And yes, it is. Um, Yeah. I mean, when you're reading it, you just will be like, oh my goodness. But, uh, and I hope that it helps people with uh, gut issues because we really kind of, I mean, Listen. It was once again just this, this drive to. I mean, I, it, I had a room full of doctors who mm-hmm. wanted to take out my husband's colon, and I stood up and said no. Mm-hmm. And they did. They said he doesn't need to be released, and I said I'm taking him. And I didn't listen. I'm not a doctor. I don't know anything, but I know how to go. I know how to go with my gut, and I know how if something doesn't feel right we got to, we got to get up. And sometimes, you know, basically what we did with the doctor's advice for about six months was killing my husband. And, wow. um, and so we kind of go through that and you get to, you get to see it. And I think there's a lot of people out there who have gastro issues that if they could read this and see, and I'm not saying you have what my husband had. I'm just saying that there are alternatives or there's something there's usually it's something so simple. Yes. Something so simple. That doesn't, take all of this medicine and steroids and infusions. I mean, my husband was getting infusions weekly with cancer yeah. patients. And if we didn't have insurance, it would have cost us $40,000 a month. And I think, oh how much did we pay to kill him? You know what I mean? Right. Now, like it makes me sick at my stomach when I look yep. back. So yep. it's you can't always, you've got to be your own advocate. 100%.
0: And while we need doctors and doctors are amazing. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And coming from healthcare, I will say it is a very corrupt system. Yes. Where money is gonna deter and drive a decision for someone and there, you know, if you ask a doctor, like, I'll never forget, like, being at Vanderbilt and my mother, who's, like, of the generation, where if the doctor's, like, go jump off the cliff and yep. swim a few, few laps like, and you'll be fine,
1: And
0: I'm, like, no, 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 no. You're
1: going to love this book so much. Oh my
0: God. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> I'm just, like, uh, mama, no, we're going to get some more opinions. We're going to dig deeper, like, it, it and then – at a very young age, like I saw a lot of people that were being released from the mental hospital that could like harm themselves, harm other people, but their insurance was up and they just let them walk out the front door. And I'm like, I need to move out of Florida. This was in Florida. But then I started to realize like, as I got older, like that's everywhere. That's just not Florida. And it's really sad how corrupt our system is. Like we need insurance, but the way that some of the doctors play into the game is like you said it is killing people and my dad had throat cancer and he fought it and overcame it and then you know a year or so went by and then his back started to hurt and then we go get a back scan and the doctor's like oh the cancer's moved it's back it's moved to your lymph nodes i'm like he gets a scan every six to eight weeks like why the hell would you not catch that right And they're like, oh, well, we only, your insurance, his insurance only pays Ugh. for a scan of the neck, not of the torso. I'm like, why the fuck would you not tell us that? Right. Like, I would pay for it out of my pocket, but no one ever told us or gave yeah. us the option. Yes. Because they just assume that you're not going to self pay for it. And I'm, I'm a a short blonde. What do I know? Like, I'm just the daughter driving him to, and I'm like, no, there's much more behind this daughter and you don't know anything about me. So it's like, you know, when you say you feel like, you know, they were killing your, like, I feel like, again, everything happens for a reason, but I'm like, if we just would have known, my dad might still be here for today. And so it just, um, Again, we need doctors, but anybody listening that if you have anything going on, like don't take the first opinion, don't take the second opinion, don't take the third opinion, like do your own do work. research. Yeah. Do the work. Do the work, because if you want it bad enough and you fight for it bad enough, like there are alternatives, there are other ways. And like, I mean, you're walking proof of it. My sister is, ro- we call it rolling proof of it because <laughs> you know her wheelchair. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's so powerful to know that there are other ways to yes. get help. You don't and always like, have to listen to the doctor.
1: I think when you can get really uh, aligned with yourself, which is something that I really talk about in the last kind of part of the book is, you know, kind of finding myself again. And really, you know, there's a knowing inside of us. And if we can get still enough to, to listen to it, the knowing really knows the answers. And it's, uh, and I believe that you, we, especially women, we have that intuition. And just like I did at that doctor's office, I was like, no, I mean, I just don't believe that's right. Mm -hmm. I don't think you're supposed to take his colon out. Um, I think we know a lot of times when we're in those doctor's appointments, you know, sometimes we're like, "Mm, this isn't reading right, or Mm -hmm. this is. And, um, and I think you've got to, you've got to kind of do the work, but also listen to your gut and what it says. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Like, and, and there's like, um, a a fun, like no pun intended, like listen to your gut, like with the gas shirt (laughs) doctor. Totally. (laughs) Like I can already like see the the um, humor like swirling in my head. Yes. yes. <laughs> so. I have, like, two hours left on – I try to listen to a book a week, and so I have, like, two hours left on this one, and I always try to finish one before I go on to the next one just so I can, like, be fully present. Oh, you don't need to finish
1: that one. Just start I know.
0: (laughs) I'm like, okay, I'm going to walk on the treadmill tonight and finish that, and then I'm going to, like, get this one and download this one. So it's fun to, like, know the story behind it because it's, like – knowing your drive and your passion around like just getting it done and like wanting to help so many people is incredible. So oh, thanks. Thank you well, for I hope everything. Listeners pick done. it
1: up. You can uh, get it. It's called sleeping with a stranger. You can get it at Amazon or Barnes and Noble, or wherever books are sold, but you can also go to uh, sleeping with a or Jessica Zimmerman.com and you can find it. Um, but it is on audible. If you want to, you want this sweet uh, accent voice reading it to you. Um I love it. you could go with that option. <laughs> I love it.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your story and advocating for people who they think something's wrong with them, but the doctors just don't listen. And mm-hmm. so I think that's like one of the strongest takeaways from this story. And you're an amazing, incredible woman, businesswoman, and just you. um, you know, wife, mom, and you know. Person comes first is like oh. finding yourself. So you're awesome, but I could talk to you all day. We're out of time. Dream, I could talk to you all day as
1: well. We should. Be- okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you're everybody just- hours away. I need. To just I, know. Count. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Uh, But everyone, thank you so much
0: for listening today. Be sure to go. And if you love to read, get Jessica's book, Sleeping with a Stranger, and go get it on Audible if you're not a good reader like myself. Like, I'm trying to be a better reader, but... Like I really want to like absorb myself in the story. So go check it out. We'll put all of this in the show notes and everyone who's listening. Thank you so much for your time today. I hope you have a great day and I'll catch you guys next week. Be sure to tune in to another episode of business. Unveiled. Have a great day. Bye. Now that you have all the tools you need to conquer the world in GSD, Just share this with your friends and your fellow GSD leaders and be sure you're a subscriber so you never miss the juicy details of Business Unveiled. And you can ask Siri to listen to the latest episode, but you got to be a subscriber. Before I go, I have a huge favor to ask, and it would mean the world to me. While you're listening, snap a quick screenshot, post it to your Instagram story, tag me at GSDleader underscore. And share with me your top takeaway from this episode and how it relates to you. Until next time, remember, stay productive and profitable.
1: You've been listening to Business Unveiled with Angela Profit. Join us next time as we share our experiences to help you be more productive and profitable in your creative business. For more great resources, visit angelaprofit.com.